Welcome to the NEPA Scene Podcast. Uh, this is episode nine. Uh, we're here with uh, Dr. Mike Jenkins, who is a uh, professor at the University of Scranton, who uh, teaches uh, criminal justice. Uh, say hi, Mike. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Wait, you're a doctor? I'm not a real doctor. <laughs> hi, hi, Dr. Mike. This is a fake doctor. I'm not helping anybody in real life. That's okay. Yeah, talk right into the mic. Okay, got it. Yep. Yeah, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about uh, his uh, his book, um, "Police Leaders in the New Community uh, Problem Solving Era," which is a very long title. Uh, so we'll get into what that means, and uh, we'll talk about some uh, some broader topics uh, about. Um, uh, law enforcement and uh, the recent uh, controversy uh, with uh, the uh, the whole uh, I can't breathe movement and a lot of the things that uh, people have been talking about in terms of uh, relations with uh, law enforcement and the general public. Uh, we'll get into race relations and all that stuff in a little bit. Yeah, uh, so get your popcorn. But first, yeah. stuff. <laughs> I think we should reintroduce ourselves. We should. We should. Very uh, good call, Lauren. Uh, I'm Rich Howells. I'm the uh, editor and founder of uh, NEPAScene.com. I'm Lauren Corolico, and I'm very mad at Mark today. <laughs> I'm Mark Denebaum, and I am the, the brunt of Lauren's anger. <laughs> I'm Jim Reynolds, and I run the studio here at 25.8 Studios. Nice, Jim. That was mm-hmm. real pro. I was trying. Yeah. He Fuck brings myself. it back. Yeah. He does. He centers us. He can be he can be just as equally immature as I can be can yin be. or yang. Yeah. You're a good you're a great balance. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know that. Thank That's you. why you're my best friend. <laughs> just letting you know. All right. And uh tonight's show is sponsored by uh Richard Perry coaching and consulting uh rich was uh, the the guest on our uh, last podcast uh, which uh, you can listen to on our site and uh watch the uh, youtube video as well uh in uh, his upcoming uh, resolutions event on uh, sunday january 25th at the hilton scranton and conference center uh resolutions is your path to uh, personal professional and creative success uh this one of one of a kind event will feature uh, presentations by local leaders cl- uh, classes and activities vendors entertainment and your opportunity to connect directly with the local professionals who are motivated to help you achieve your success in the new year. Plus, if you sign up on thepathofme.com, you'll personally receive hundreds of dollars worth of valuable resources, products, programs, and discounted services that are exclusive to Rich's personal clients. So come out to Resolutions uh, at the Hilton Scranton uh, Sunday, January 25th, and make 2015 your year for creating success. Uh, NEPA Scene is also a proud sponsor of uh, Resolutions, and uh, we'll actually uh, we'll see you there. We actually have a table at the event, so uh, we're looking forward to that. What's his, what's his, what's the name of the website? Uh, the Path of Me, and it has hundreds. Well, he he's I like, uh, well. It's it's like it to, like you were just reading that, and I'm like, oh my god, he's the Pirate Bay of self help. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, essentially. Um, if Rich is listening, I'd like to apologize uh, that I got your Facebook message and I have not replied yet out of uh, fear. <laughs> I want to. I will. And you will be at that event, right? Yeah. Not September 25th. I will be there January 25th. January 25th. Right. Yep. Exactly. And Rich, if you were listening, I am 11 days without smoking. I have not smoked 199 cigarettes. I have saved $47.66 and saved 19 hours and 55 minutes of my life. And fewer wrinkles. Congratulations. Thank you. And fewer That's awesome. What? Wrinkles. Yes, oh. I'm 50 per- 55% 
back to pre uh, where I was pre premature wrinkles. I didn't even notice you had wrinkles. I didn't. So. I didn't realize that either. I thought. I thought you have the complexion of a Russian doll. That was a compliment, Lauren. It was It was not meant to You're be just, like... No matter what you say today, yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. I was saying you didn't look like old you. luggage. You looked very nice. <laughs> wow. Thanks for laughing, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I have a personal joke about look. that. That's really funny. Do you? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So my family and I were at church. I think. Wait, is this two... the joke or your family and you were this actually is the, this at is why, church? Well, this is why it's funny. So okay. my, my family and I were at Easter Mass. <laughs> Thanks for telling me why it's funny. My family and I were at Easter Mass about two years ago, and I was there with my family and my family from New Jersey, and one of my my mom's friend's parents came over, and there was a huge purse laying on the on the um, on the pew, and he went, "Oh, who brought the old luggage?" And I said, "Oh, that's my aunt Maureen's," but he didn't hear the yes, so he thought I said, "Oh, that's my aunt Maureen." So he thought I was talking. He thought that I was referring to my aunt Maureen as the old, old luggage. luggage. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Was he appalled? That's still a, a good joke to this day. It's a person within the family. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there's the old luggage. <laughs> you now root. in one miscommunication. You ruined your aunt's life. Yeah, the whole mass was shot after that we just sat there laughing the yeah, whole time Jesus who old luggage <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice now uh, we, we've got uh, lots of good uh, stuff on the site this week uh, we just posted uh, title fights new video uh, that they just premiered on pitchfork um, we also have a new article about uh, Luiza who is a, uh, a new band. This is their first interview ever. Uh, we have uh, the exclusive first interview with them and uh, exclusive videos with them as well at their practice. Uh, their show is uh, is this Sunday. So uh, check out all the information on that on there. Uh, we also have uh, photos of uh, the Ms. CD release show. Um, we also we have an article that we uh, posted last week uh, that's still up. Uh, about it's a kind of a behind the scenes of uh, Mrs. photo shoot uh, how they how they shot the cover and uh, the promo photos and what goes what the, the work that goes into that we wanted to kind of do something a little bit differently so the images kind of tell more of the story uh, than the actual writing itself and uh, it's a kind of a different way to uh, approach the whole album release thing you know because anybody can do an article about okay the guy's putting out an album it's yeah, great yeah. check it out that sort of thing so we try to take a different approach so um, so that that that's also on the site. Um, we have uh, photos of uh, Mood Swing as well. Uh, they're uh, a uh, jazz and R and B band. Uh, so that's strange. Yeah, and they're they're local actually. They're they're relatively new, and uh, I had just I hadn't heard about them until uh, the photos were sent to me, and they they played at the River Street Jazz Cafe, and uh, they have a, a show coming up at the Woodlands as well. So uh, check them out. If you're uh, if you're into uh, uh, music to, to dance to and it's more uh, more classic uh, sounding R and B uh, songs, um, we also have a concert review uh, coming up of uh, the Russell Project, uh, Phyllis Hopkins Trio, and Fireball. Uh, we have and we have all. Our, I, I usually don't plug these and, and I should. Uh, you know, every week we have uh, great weekly columnists. Uh, we have uh, Drunk Illustration Tuesday, which uh, is my cousin Brendan who uh, is uh, studying. In, he's actually in Japan. He's actually teaching uh, teaching kids in Japan, which is really crazy to think about because uh, when you listen to the podcast, you're like, "How is this guy a teacher?" Uh, <laughs> no, I, I thought you were going. We have Drunk Illustrations who you know who my cousin what's his name brendan my cousin brendan does 
And I thought like your next thing was like, because I need to get him a job. <laughs> I thought that's what you were. No, he has a job actually. He is, he's a steady. You know, you know what's amazing is that he has a job and he still finds time to get drunk and draw. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Good and so, so we, we post the illustrations. He has a little commentary about them and he has, he also has a, a, a little podcast that he does. Uh, that's 15 minutes. So way shorter than what you get here. <laughs> uh, pretty straightforward. And it's just him and he's hysterical. I, I, I it's, it's very, very hard to to balance a show uh by yourself so i give him a lot of credit for doing that he should film that just so we know yeah what the he does he actually like. he does it on his iphone because for the first like month that he was there he had no computer at all so he was using oh, his phone say. for everything wow so so he's, he's been he's just doing it right on his iphone and and they're fun they're they're really fun interesting podcasts because he you know he, he'll he'll uh, he'll joke around and stuff but there's there's actually some kind of artistic insight into you know how and why he chooses the subjects that he does and uh i think it's very interesting so is he like the bob ross of painting podcasts or if if bob ross was a drunk then yeah i think bob ross was he's <laughs> either that or bob ross was on you know happy pills or just the he fumes from the loops. paint. Yeah. yeah. Some of that paint can get to you after all those years. Every yeah, paint that's true. that Bob Ross used had some sort of, you know, How many ammonia. brain cells did every happy cloud kill? <laughs> <laughs> that's what make, I want to know. Let's not make assumptions here. About How many Bob clouds Ross. didn't happen because... <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And we're going to paint a happy... <laughs> Maybe no, we just, won't. Just breathe in that fresh air. <laughs> Someone get the Cheetos. It's happy air. Yeah. <laughs> We we also have uh, you know how to pair beer with everything, uh, which uh, which is a, a, a cool way to do beer reviews. It's a little bit different where uh, it's not just pairing beer with food; it's pairing beer with movies, books, uh, entertainment, you know that sort of thing. What kind of mood you should be in, uh, who you should be hanging out with when you're drinking it, that kind of can stuff. I, can I come from Can I come from the point of view of an alcoholic, former alcoholic? I guess you're an alcoholic forever, but whatever. Um, I could never drink and eat. I could never drink and like watch a movie. Mm-hmm. I couldn't like those were things that I could never do while drinking. I don't, I don't and I don't know why. Hmm. I could drink and listen to the you know Portis head over and over again, but right, I couldn't drink and be like, <laughs> let's watch Raging Bull. That was like that was just never me. I don't know. Huh. That's just me. I, I don't know, Lauren. Were you going to say something? Or no, just I'm just thinking. I'm with just thinking about the southern out? tier rum aged pumpkin that I've got sitting. I'm waiting to watch yeah, Prometheus that's too. That's where you went. That's where I'm going to watch Prometheus and just like drink in that. In 3D, it's 20 percent alcohol. But do you want to come over one day and watch Prometheus in 3D? I, do you have it in 3D? I do. It's a little bit. It's the way. It's the only way. No, I already had this whole thing planned out. Yeah, but it's in, but it's in 3D. But Lauren. you don't have the. There's a third the dimension. Pumpkin. Do you have it? Yes. Can, can, is it is it is it mobile? It's can you New, move it? It's in New Jersey. We'll get that and then come back. <laughs> I'm just giving you options, Lauren, for us to be friends outside of. No, I'm mad at you. The normal realm. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll discuss that later when we have Doctor Oz on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to give it back to you, and I can't do it because you're my you're my favorite person in the world. So. <laughs> Uh, we also uh, turn to Channel 3, which is a, a retro gaming column. Uh, we have... Uh, and then Rich totally acts like we never had a conversation. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, Rich that's, is like, that, I'm going to hit pause on the DVD menu. That's... Let yep, them go, and we're That's the back. only way we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, putting in work, which is uh, Corey Wolf's column about uh, the music business. And uh, we have uh, an advice columnist as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Allie, which uh, is, she gives uh, she gives different advice on, on different topics every week. So. Yeah, yeah. Sounds very dismissive. Well, that's kind of the point. Is oh, okay. when most people All give, right, it, it, give advice. You're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, I love that then. Okay. <laughs> No, I, ser- I seriously, like, that's how easily flipped I am on anything. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. 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 Oh, this is awesome. Like, no, it's not. Well, it's awesome because this, like, yeah, you're right. I'm really simple in an do you, do you love? Do you love our guest? I, I mean, I just, we just met. I don't so know. We'll, I don't let, know. Well, let's talk to him and see if, see if uh, he, so, he can gain your love as well. Well, let's. We could work something out, I'm sure. Okay, good. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> he, Dr. Mike. He, he is a married man, though. It's, you know. And we'll act euro. And you're 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 on call tonight, aren't you? I am in case my wife uh, decides to pop a baby out. <laughs> well, congratulations now. to you, you, sir. Is this yes. your first kid? Number two. Number two? Yes, boy. Less nervous a or boy. more nervous? More nervous. Strangely, because I, I think because I know what to expect now. Oh. Oh boy. <laughs> Do you know what you're getting, boy or girl? A boy this time. Okay. Yep. Do you have a name picked out? Michael. Okay. Not, Good not choice. named after me, but after <laughs> my grandfather. Oh. Then, uh, the middle name will be Charles after my wife's grandfather. That's a good name. Yeah. That's a strong. very good name. Charles? Yes. Michael Charles. It's a strong name. It's a strong name. Well, both names, I think, are very strong. It's a dignified name. Yeah. It's my father's name. Your dad's name is Charles? Yes, it is. Does anybody call him Chuck? No. Okay. Don't, don't you dare. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. No, no. I was just, I was just saying, because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if he was one of those they call guys. Him, they call him Los. That mm-mm, I don't get that one. No, Los. Yeah. L O S. Yeah. For, what? Don't worry about it. All right. So, so Mike, you're uh, also an author as well as an educator, and uh, so t- tell me, tell me about this book. Uh, now, the 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 full title is Police Leaders in the New Community Problem Solving Era. Now, what exactly does that title mean? Sure, it comes from initially a study that was um, that I was doing as part of my dissertation at Rutgers School of Criminal Justice in Newark, New Jersey, and um, the way that I got involved in this study is that I was working at a place called the Police Institute, and I was a case manager for New Jersey State Parole, uh, part time, working on their Serious Violent Offender Reentry Initiative. Um, so that position, as well as the research assistant position, uh, were, were, they were both within the police institute at Rutgers. And the faculty chair of that institute was George Kelling, who uh, many people know for the broken windows theory that's come under a lot of uh, fire and received a lot of attention over the last few months with the, the issues that have been um, arising in, in policing. And uh, so one night I am working in my office at the police institute and I think I'm, I was inputting some burglary data in a, in an SPSS file or something and it's probably 8 o'clock at night blasting music and um, I meet Dr. Kelling for the first time he walks into my office um, wasn't expecting anyone to be around and uh, we, we were, we, we, I was introduced to him then for the first time ended up taking a class with him on community crime control 
And then uh, before I know it, he's approaching me and saying, listen, Mike, I know that you're working on a few projects. I, I have this money that I need to spend and I'd like to have you either as a research assistant to the project or you could actually use the money to get your dissertation done and get out of here. So I, of course, said... Uh, Here's money to leave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help everyone, but I'd like to also get my PhD since this is what I'm here for. So let's do it. So... I used that money and I was able to travel then to uh, Boston, Los Angeles, Milwaukee, and also do a study of the Newark Police Department. And uh, Ooh, heavy. Yeah, it was the, the driving kind of question was to see how these departments change as an organization to a specific type of uh crime tech or uh, policing tactics namely broken windows policing kind of broadly defined and that's obviously um i was studying that tactic because of george kelling's influence in each of these departments as you might imagine working with police departments it's tough to get into the into the departments to get data and to get access and he was able to open those doors for me so i'm going to pause you there and say you should probably explain broken windows sure okay i was totally going to get to that i'm sitting over here going like this would be a good time okay so the very basic idea behind broken windows which was presented in a 1982 atlantic monthly article um is that lower levels of disorder in a community give rise to more serious levels of crime and the idea is that the it's really a social normative type of explanation that when someone goes to an area and sees that it's not well taken care of and well maintained then those people kind of receive signals that it's okay to offend here if i want to sell drugs if i want to prostitute my body openly if i want to rob people because it no one's going to care right no one's going to try to um catch me if i do this you know do something wrong so it's been implemented in a various uh, some various ways and that's kind of what i was trying to look at in my study was to see how are police practitioners themselves interpreting this broken windows theory how are they implementing it and you know what do they think about its effectiveness and what came out of the study uh, again based on uh, about 80 interviews with mostly top level uh, people within the police organization, so it's really kind of a, a top-down approach or a, a top-down view, is that um, first of all, they're police executives, so the chief of police or the police director, depending on the title in the department, those police executives really do have a lot of potential to change an organization and to to implement change within that organization, and. Uh, so that kind of gave rise then to the police leaders in the title of police leaders in the new community problem solving era. Uh, the new community problem solving era came out of the idea in this study that um, we look at the history of policing. We start with the political era. I don't need to describe that uh, for the sake of time. Moves into this reform era, uh, which a lot of police departments were kind of um, in it up until you know until about the 1960s and 70s and then starting the 1970s we start to get more involvement with the community and looking at not only responding to crime and trying to prevent crime but also looking at how we might um, prevent crime and present or prevent other types of uh, problems from arising including dis- disorderly problems so you're seeing now how broken windows fits into this larger type of strategy and um so the the new part of of the title um really speaks to this idea that we're still in a community problem solving era but the role of technology and the understanding that you know this is a organizational wide type of strategy um is what makes this what, what makes this community problem solving era new 
um, that that police practitioners are understanding that it's not just a small part of their organization. It's not just a couple officers within their police department, but rather it's it's in, in, in the entire department that needs to be on board with community problem solving. So that affects all parts of your organization. It, it affects the, the primary tactics that you're going to use. It affects the uh, structure of the police department. It, struct, it, it affects how you reward police and how you measure what they're doing and how you measure the outcomes of what police are doing. So that, that, that all pertains to everything and when you say top down, it has to do with even social outreach. It has to do with community outreach. It has to do with um, sure. public, public. Right. And, and the idea, again, why police leaders play a prominent role in the book and, and thus the title is that uh, police, the police leaders that I studied um, are really some of the, the, the most proficient uh, police executives that we have currently. Bill Bratton, who's now in the NYPD. I studied his work out in Los Angeles. Um, Ed Flynn, who's in Milwaukee still. Um, these are really considered some of the top police leaders that we have. And what we saw is that they were able to take organizations that were, were stuck in different ways in the reform era of policing that was prominent in you know the mid 20th century and move these departments quickly and and, and for um, a, a last in a lasting way into this new community problem solving era so it's really it's you know it's it's some of a pretentious title but it, it speaks this idea <laughs> speaks this idea that we're looking at the profession from from a larger perspective based on the experiences of these four departments now what, what did you learn from this firsthand experience that you might not have gotten just from studying it in a textbook sure um, working with george kelling and i was his last phd student he actually stayed he, he came out of retirement uh, to, to make sure that I finished my dissertation. Um, and so one of his requirements for his students is that if you don't have policing experience, that you have to work with police in the field in a police department. So that meant that I was doing ride-alongs with all the police departments. I was doing, um, I was biking with police departments. I was doing foot patrols. I went up in the Los Angeles Police Department's uh, helicopter. And really that you know, got to see how they were doing patrols there, but it also turned into a nice sightseeing of the Santa Monica Pier and the Hollywood sign and all that. Um, I did a boat patrol in Milwaukee. Um, so, you know, seeing it firsthand and talking to practitioners firsthand, and, and, and then, of course, there was the in-depth interviews that I did with, like I said, mostly um, upper-level individuals within the department, um, I think gives me as a researcher um, a a unique perspective that you can't get by just, you know, emailing a police department saying, hey, why don't you send me some of your crime numbers and some of your personnel statistics and then running, you know, whatever types of um, analysis you might on those. Getting into the police department, feeling, you know, what it is to be in a police department in a place like Newark, Newark, uh, New Jersey, where, you know, some of the, the police uh, buildings themselves were, were dilapidated and, and, you know, not really up to um, the, the best standards. Um, that all, I think, feeds into a, a better understanding of what it is that police do and what they're experiencing. Now, uh, for for how that ties into kind of the uh what what you see what you see coming well let, you know what let, let me let me ask this first uh you see uh i i saw that it was used uh for uh, educational and training purposes uh with police departments so how has the book uh, been received 
So far, surprisingly well. Um, the publisher, you know, I, this is my first book, so I'm not sure what to expect. And, nobody's uh, come at you been like, this is all bullshit. Well, not yet, no. <laughs> um, That's no, good. And, and That's I, good. And I take criticism very well, so I'm open to whatever people have to say about it. Um, and, and, and as an aside, having the book, you know, I was just happy to see the book in my hand and, and to have it. And, and one of the things I said is, I don't care who reads it. You know, of course I care who reads it. But, you know, if no one reads it, okay if people criticize it okay i'm just happy that i have a book and it's done so um that's one thing um i think amy poehler her latest she just wrote a kind of i think a semi-autobiography and that's one of the lines that she has is that you know in the end i wrote a book and you didn't so <laughs> you know i i envy her attitude there um, but that said you know of course i i prefer the book to be in, in the hands of police practitioners in the academic field, of course, you write for other academics, but that turns to be somewhat of a, a kind of a circular type of um, a group there where you're all just writing for each other and there's really not a lot of uh, impact in the field. And so um, I was thrilled to get an email from uh, the chief of police in Milwaukee who said that he bought copies for his 10 commanders to read. Mm -hmm. And Wonderful. he said that, um, you know, he thinks it's important for police to learn about their own profession to realize that people are studying the profession outside of people who are, you know, criticizing in it day to day or exactly, or <laughs> people who are just criticizing it. Um, so that was really the highest compliment that, that um, we received so far to, to hear that police chiefs are, are reading it. And, you know, the Scranton police chief has a copy um, and a f quite a few other police practitioners who I, who I know or don't know also um, have told me that they, they've purchased the book. So what, what would uh, uh, an average civilian get out of uh, get out of the book? I think that, you know, your average educated person who has an interest in policing uh, would, would get quite a lot out of the book in terms of um, a little bit of the history of, of where the profession um, came from and, and it helped explain where we are today um, as well as what police are doing today. And, you know, if you're talking about Los Angeles Police Department, Boston Police Department, these are departments that most people will say are kind of at the cutting edge of the things that are being done in policing. So, you know, you could all watch cops, you can watch CSI and, and get um, somewhat of a false view of what policing is. But in, in the book that I wrote with my co-author, John, De, uh, John DiCarlo, um, I think we give a really um, uh, factual and realistic presentation of what police police are doing today uh, in terms of working with the community to respond to the problems that the community defines as problems. Well, the the thing that that struck me immediately, uh, you know, about the the title and just kind of reading a little bit about you know what the book was about, and everything is. Um, that's such a big part of the national discussion right now. Uh, the law enforcement and the community and how they're interacting and how they understand each other. And, uh, you know, there seems to be this, this overall, uh, general sense that, um, that they're, they're not connecting that the way that they should be and that sort of thing. Um, but from what you said, you know, you, you see a lot of the, the, the tactics that, uh, these uh, law enforcement agencies are using and they're they're on the cutting edge and so there there's you know maybe another side to the story that is is being drowned out do you feel oh absolutely yeah um you know at at the core of what police do is uh the relationship with the community and i think what we're seeing receiving a lot of attention in these in these events in ferguson and in new york with the um Eric Gardner case is that we're focusing on these these instances in which the police and community did not 
relate very well together. And in some cases, I think in Ferguson, there might be a good case to be made that that, that individual incident is uh, the result of larger types of uh, rift between the police and the community there. But I think in, in New York, um, you know, they have... A, they had pretty good relationships with the community generally. And so it's, I don't think it's always fair to say that this one egregious incident uh, is indicative of some greater rift between these two groups uh, in a police department and certainly not for profession as a whole. I mean, wasn't, wasn't New York having a big problem with um, prior to that, the, the whole stop and frisk thing? I mean, do you think that that, and, and look, you know, that topic specifically, I think, was was a little hot button because it did profile. Yeah, a lot of these are hot button issues. Yeah, and it's not to say that like you know it happened every day or whatever. It's just it a lot of the times it seems like, and I'm not calling anybody like that. So a lot of the times it's the vocal minority that creates the loudest dissent. Yes, I I think there are people who have certain perspectives of what police are doing and sometimes those ideas about what police are doing aren't always in touch with reality but when they see certain things they like to use again these types of uh, incidents to prove certain points again uh, that may or may not be true Um, but when you talk about stop question and frisk uh, it has been a problem it seems uh, for people and i'm not sure exactly um you know while the stop question or frisk debate was going on based on it was it was based on um a f- federal case there new york versus floyd where um th- the judge said that uh, stop question or frisk was being done in a racially biased way mm-hmm. but even during the height of this debate uh there was a cbs quinnipiac poll that that asked new yorkers hey um you know what do you want you know what, what what do you prefer um do you prefer safety or do you prefer people being stopped questioned and frisked and um the the conclusion of the poll was that people want to be safe even though you know this tactic of stop question and frisk was coming in, into into a question um so Again, you said it's a problem. I think it is. There's certainly issues there. I don't know that's as big of a problem as people were making it out to be. Um, well, you know, using using that poll as an example, I think, um, you know, you know, when nine eleven happened, and you know, the inconvenience of taking your shoes off. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It would, but it was like this is ridiculous, but I'll do it. Right. Yeah. Um, when it when it comes down to something like that, and I think, and I think. You know, in terms of, of, of stop and frisk, and I think it was probably slanted more racially than it was just Well, you know, the anything. numbers did bear that out in terms of the proportions of individuals being stopped were highly disproportionately blacks and Latinos. Um, but there's more to the story there in terms of why police are in certain areas and why they're acting in certain ways. Um, well, yeah, they're not, yeah. you know, they're not, they're not there because nothing happened. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's... It, in situations like that, I mean, it's you can't you can't have it both ways, and I think that's the problem that people don't come to terms with. Where it's like, you know, some people can look at it as a violation of your First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some people could look at it as a violation. Uh, search and seizure is Third Amendment, Fourth, Fourth. Amendment, Fourth, Fourth. Amendment. Yeah. Um, that shows how much you know. I went to college school. Um, 
you know, you could look at it that way, but you can't to live in a safe society, you have to give up certain things. And you're not you're not you're not giving it up to the point of being like, we have no probable cause. We just feel like walking into your house and, you know, taking what we want. Um and I think that's where the line that comes from. I just watched a video, I believe it was yesterday, the day before, where it was uh, a big civil rights guy in like St. Louis or something where, you know, he was the he was the one kind of like leading the charge and leading protests against the police where they actually put him in to three scenarios. I don't know if you saw I this. I did see it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he radically changed his mind. And he was, and he was the guy going like, the police need to be stopped, and blah blah blah. And then they put him in a scenario, in three scenarios where he would, you know, do you use force or do you not? He was use a force? shoot, not shoot, and of course, right. he was shooting. <laughs> and, right. And I think that's exactly what we need more of is this this empathy for you know for both sides to have a better understanding of what the other is going through. And um, like I said, the, the numbers do bear out there that the, the stops of individuals in New York City were disproportionately of blacks and Hispanics. Um, but then there's that individual balance there that if, if I am a young black male in New York City, then the likelihood of my being killed is much, much, much higher than being a young white male in New York Correct. City. Yes. And so there is, you know, there's a balance that... The crime's the, also disproportionate. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, without a doubt. And um, so... An individual has to balance that as well as a community and the police department. And so I think there does need to be some recalibration there with the the NYPD and their community. But I think that it was a a bit blown out of proportion because, again, um, if if I have to choose between being robbed, having family members robbed, being shot at um, or being stopped by a, a police officer, I think I'd, I'd choose being stopped by a police officer. I think, I th- it, well, the other thing, too, is I also think that that'll, that a lot of the times is like there's no definable it's a sliding scale on who you know what constitutes is what, what constitutes is correct for me to stop person a and not person b and you know when it when it boils down to things like that you know i i, I it's, it's it's a judgment call mm-hmm. and it's a very and for a lot of police officers it's a very difficult judgment mm-hmm. call to make yeah it's a highly discretionary activity and i and another issue that, that came into play there was this idea that people were saying that there were quotas that needed to be met and so that was then forcing your patrol officers who want to to this well, was you know, there the, uh there's some evidence Cause, that because wouldn't it be legally it, legally it be there couldn't be like in, in terms of their, their union contract and all that there could not be quotas but i think in practice some people have shown evidence that um, there were some quotas, you know, so, some pressure, some not so subtle pressures by their their um, leaders to to produce numbers. And that goes back to this whole idea in the community problem solving era. That's not just about numbers. It's just not about quantity, but it's all, also about quality. So you could have all the stops in the world, but if you're making your community members feel like they're being um, targeted wrongfully, if you're making your community feel like they're not part of the police department and keeping them their their community safe, then that's not a very good outcome. The problem that I think policing has suffered from in the past is that, you know, you rewarded people for those arrests, you rewarded people for those stops, and that's how you got promoted. Uh, the profession has been moving past that, has continued to move past those types of measurements of what police are doing. I think I think a lot of us have had those types of personal experiences like my personal experience with you know the police has been you know both sides where you know I've met police that you know fit that stereotype where 
they seem like uh, the football player in high school who didn't get much farther than that and decided to become a bully uh, with a badge who, uh, you know, runs around <laughs> and essentially, you know, gives people Ouch. tickets for no reason. And no, I've, I've, I know, I've no, met no, no, those no, no, guys no, no. I'm we just have, saying. we have, I, I've, I've but, met them too. But, you know, I also, as, as a news reporter for several years, I, I worked closely with the Scranton Police Department and I saw nothing but professionalism when I was there. You know, the guys were wonderful. Uh, they were all doing their jobs all the time. Uh, they were always on target. And, uh, and I appreciated the work that they did and it makes you see it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, as a civilian, it's easy to say, well, oh, you know, it's all bullshit. And you know, like I got, you know, I got a ticket today. So now I hate all cops, you know, like that kind of thing. And I was speeding and they caught me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah blaming other people right. for, you know, uh, but, but you, you know, seeing it from their perspective, it, it gives you that other side of it, you know, and you understand that, you know, there's there. And, and so to, to me that leads into, uh, you know, is it, the, you know, the whole bad apples sort of thing mm -hmm. where, you know, is it, um, you know, the case of Eric Garner and Michael Brown, are we talking about like, you know, overall, uh, everything's, Oh, you know, fairly on target, but you know, you have these couple of guys that are screwing it up for everybody or is it, is it maybe some, you know, symptomatic of, of the way they handle the department handles things overall, um, that led into incidents like that. Yeah. That's the precise way that we, we talk about these types of, uh, incidents and the individuals who are involved in them is, you know, is it a rotten apple or is it a rotten orchard? And, uh, I think the cases, you know, um, you know, I can't speak to any specific case, but, um, there's certainly departments that are, are perfectly fine in terms of the ways that they're running and you know that they're running in ways that are legitimate and um, working to uh, supervise and train their officers in ways that prevent these types of events from occurring um, but then there are, are certainly other departments where they just you know some they don't get it and um, they forget that they have to work with the legitimacy of the people uh, hand in hand and if they don't have that then you know they're not going to be, be able to do their job and so they they do their job through force and through you know physicality instead of these other um, less potentially violent ways of, of handling situations and working with the community to prevent problems in the first place um, and as I mentioned one of the ways that a department could kind of feed into this is by by focusing on numbers um, and 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 not looking at the bigger picture of what it is that that police department is supposed to be doing um, and there's other ways too in terms of poor supervision and, and poor training certainly there's ways that you could train so that what happened in um in ferguson and what happened with uh, eric garner um, so that the police officer doesn't get to that position in the first place um, so certainly you know grand juries have said that there was no reason to indict these individual officers because at the time that they made a decision to act a certain way they had reason to do so um, but you also have to look at what led up to that interaction in the first place to to the point where you know why did the officer get to the point where they felt that they had to use deadly force and there's two incidents that that uh, currently speak to this issue one is in the milwaukee police department you had an officer who was fired by chief flynn is that the uh, guy who did the, the news report where they gave him crap for looking at his cell phone there was a hearing and they gave the, the they gave the chief yeah the chief he, crap yes. that was one of the most amazing he, he retorts did. to You're anything right. i've ever seen in my life yeah. and if no one's seen this they need to see it because it's man, Ed Flynn. Mm -hmm. in one minute he put everything into perspective and nobody could reply to it well, it was it was pretty excellent what did, what did he say specifically 
Um, if you could paraphrase. Do you, do you, re, do you remember yeah, specifically? I'll try to recall. Uh, Ed Flynn, the chief in Milwaukee, he was coming out of, like you said, he was coming out of a council meeting or it was, something. Yeah, it was a council meeting or something. And reporters surrounded him because at, at the same time um, that the council meeting was going on, the police were also responding to the shooting of a five-year-old who was killed, I think, yeah, accidentally as maybe a bystander. And um, so, there, but one of the reporters made a comment, said, why were you looking at your phone? you know, during this important proceeding of the city council or whatever meeting it was. And um, he said, you know what, you all here are trying to cause trouble. You're here trying to, to make certain um, accusations about us and the police department. But meanwhile, I'm looking at my phone because I'm getting updates about a five-year-old who's shot and killed. And so he has tears in his eyes as he's saying, I have to go now um, comfort this family and, and figure out what the heck happened and, you know, how we could have prevented it and make sure that this doesn't happen in the future. I have it so, on YouTube if you want to, share it mm. yeah know, definitely. I, I don't know if i i don't know if we want to play it it's right. it's three minutes but yeah no we'll, but we'll, holy we'll, crap we'll have the clip no it, it, it really does and it's one of those things that really you know look you know a lot of people especially especially in the world of politics anything anything that, that that's a news story unless we landed on the moon which i'm sure people are convinced that you know it, it's it was we're not it using was staged it, are you yeah, sure we did stanley that? kubrick shot it um <laughs> but you know regardless on what your opinion is on that there's going to be people who you know even if they're not saying it's stage it's a misappropriation of resources or it's a misappropriation there's always going to be critics of everything that happens and everybody's going to think they have an opinion so they can feel important um in terms of in 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 terms of um what's what's you know i i, I hate to i hate to go biblical or whatever but you really can't know anything about somebody until you walk a mile in their shoes and it's it's really unfair to criticize, critique, or vilify mm -hmm. if you have no idea what they're going through. And it's like the same people are like, well, you know, that guy had a shitty football game. He sucks. I hate him any, you know, forever. And like, you know, he could have found out that morning his mother has cancer. Like, like you don't know what's going on. And everybody's just so quick to judge and quick to have an opinion and quick to, you know what I mean? And 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 in the terms of Ferguson, and I would. And look, I'm the guy who believes that like there are people who abuse power, you know, mm -hmm. just because I watch comic book movies. <laughs> there are people who abuse their power. But in, in terms of Ferguson, I'm like, something doesn't seem right. Wait it out. Like, let's see what happens before we can have an opinion. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think like we don't want to push the idea that there's there should be no criticism. It's just that there should be educated criticism. No, part part of you know, part of part of being an American is to be able to criticize the people in power is to, and, and not criticize as in like, let's riot, let's protest and throw stones. It's, you know, let's ask tough questions. Let's, let's put their feet to the fire. And if they have an answer, then they know what they're doing. Right. You know what I mean? If they're like, well, I don't, you know, uh, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly losing faith in you. I, there's two parts to that. I believe a lot of America, a lot of America is, taking it with an emotional approach rather than a logical approach so because of all the emotion tied to it they're jumping to conclusions instead of looking at all the facts and you know a lot we weren't in the courtroom and we don't we didn't we see all we of the there. evidence we're not right. in the police room so we I mean? don't have like you can have your opinion from what you've read in the newspapers but as far as knowing what went down in the courtroom what all the pictures were shown and all the circumstances and the evidence, and and the evidence you know you can't you can't make a, a call that's as charged as a lot of the people are doing 
without sure. knowing all the facts. And, and then I think, I think I, a lot of it, the, the overflow is a lot of it is just emotion. Well, I think one more scary thing to that is not, you know, I think, I think emotion is that people make emotional right responses to things right you know that's that's the ultimate worst thing to do when you're making a decision is to make it emotional right the second thing is which kind of just dawned on me bandwagon right well everybody else is popular right everybody else the morning the morning like janet um, jackson's nipple it's like well the morning after jumped on that and it was really wasn't after the the decision was made you could just follow people's hashtags i was doing it on instagram and just people are posting and reposting things just because it was already put out there by somebody that might have a lot of followers yeah, somebody from Scranton is posting about Ferguson and, right. and the injustice. We have no it's like right you don't even live that. in that community. Right. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we then, don't know what life was like prior to that. In, in we the, don't know what life is like there. Exactly. In in the same way that you know, focus strange. You, you see, you see the 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 riots and the protests, and it's very easy for us as you know, uh, white middle class Americans to say, "Well, they shouldn't be doing that. Why are they acting like that?" But you also haven't walked a mile in their shoes. And Absolutely you haven't not. Lived in what, what they've gone through. So there's, you know, not that I'm saying that it's, you know, every everything that they did was justified. But at the same time, I think the the anger and uh, the attitude was justified. I think, you know, seeing uh, no matter no matter what it is. I mean, it's a, but it's a watching, horrible situation. And even like watching the the Eric Garner video, it it makes me angry every time I see it. It makes me so angry because I see this guy being choked out and i just i just wonder was that really necessary was that the really the tactic they they should have gone you know whether he was yelling for help or not or whether he was saying he could breathe or not but they just don't even think they should have even done that they probably i i watch i'm the i'm the dash cam police watcher guy on youtube there's a lot of criminals who the moment you get handcuffs on them say i can't breathe Oh, to sure. get them off. Yeah. You know and what I mean? Yeah, there's... And I'm not... There's absolutely nothing in, in, in my intention here to justify any of that. Right. But I'm saying is, is like, if I've seen it, I'm not, a, I'm not law enforcement. Oh, yeah. They've, y- they've heard it before. Right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they probably... I, I just I feel like it was in their head. I just I feel know. like it was excessive force. I just just it, watching it, it. it. But that's my opinion as but, a civilian but, who's but, not in law enforcement. But so a lot, but you, a, you have to take that with a grain of salt. I think I think a lot of us can look at any force as excessive. Sure. You know what I mean. So it's like you know, well, why don't you hit him in the head with your baton instead of shooting him? Like like either way, you know, it's still it's still force. And then to to, to to put a degree on it of of whatever, like yeah they didn't put a gun to his head right you know like i i i i, I swear i hope i hope and i'm not a gypsy but I, I i'm pretty sure that the police officer that did that it was not his intention oh to yeah have him die no absolutely not no I, I don't believe that at all right he's not out like we need to kill you know <laughs> a guy on the street selling cigarettes right you know it, i i don't obviously. think that was his intention i i think it was an awful i think it ended up being horrible for both parties sure and, and just yesterday i saw another dot cop cam video where um a police officer shot an armed unarmed man mm. and it was a group of them there was about three or four of them it's making its rounds to uh, yesterday and today and there's a police officer and all you see it's the view from the police car heading to the scene must be a dozen cops are there already there and the police car pulls up and the police officer, it's at a railroad tracks, and the police officer that 
did the did, did the shooting, walks over and collapses in front of that police car and weeps uncontrollably mm. because he knew he shot an unarmed person. But at the same time, he thought his life was in danger. And these are split second decisions that these guys are making. Right. That's why I think the more instructive parts of these interactions are uh, not necessarily the, the immediate interaction between when the officer felt they were in danger and when they decided to use force. But just prior to that and even, you know, going kind of more longstanding in terms of, you know, Eric Gardner is a good, good example of that case. Um, that was not his first run in with the police. And so a lot of people use that as a justification for having to use uh, force with him because, you but know, I don't he, think he was the a police officers who showed up there knew that it was not his first run in with the case. Well, they, he was, and, or did they? That's the point I'm making. That's the point I'm making is that they should have known that. And more importantly, that police department, those officers with the community should have done something months before, maybe, you know, arrest 10, arrest 11, arrest 12. You know, there are things that we could have done to prevent him from doing the behavior that they didn't want him to do, right? Now, you could, we, people argued about whether or not they should be selling Lucy cigarettes. Um, and apparently, from what I've read, uh, one of the reasons why they were approaching him was because there was a business owner who sells cigarettes legitimately and said, I don't want him out here selling cigarettes, you know? And again, let's just not, not speak to this specific case, but let's imagine that this same person who's selling Lucy cigarettes is also harassing people or, or, you know, trying to get them, you know, force them to say, Hey, but you know, buy these instead of from, from the store. And he's like six foot seven. So, I mean, that's, we, we could see why um, that's a problem for the community. You know, not so the guy's height, but the fact that the, the business owner says this is a problem. Um, but how could we have, you know, what could they have done months before to help Eric Garner make a decision that did not involve the behavior that they were trying to stop? And that's kind of the, the underlying principle be behind problem solving is that you know, instead of having police continue, continually respond to the same incident, mm -hmm. the same incident, the same incident, what are other ways that, that don't involve arrests, that don't necessarily involve citation, but result that, that involve other parts of the community, whether it be, you know, a mediation between that individual and business owner, something um, that the police could take charge of um, to prevent this problem from, from arising. And then, of course, there's, there's the training issues when it comes to the, the more immediate incident. Um, you know, there's this case, the second case I want to mention out, uh, to mention outside of Milwaukee was uh, in Ohio, Tamir Rice, 12-year-old who had a, a BB gun. Oh, my God, that was awful. was yeah. um, shot within seconds of police responding on scene. I think it was now, again, three, right? Three or four seconds? As they showed up, they got out of the car, and they shot him um, because they, they thought he was pulling that Tamir Rice was pulling a gun on them. Um, and he was, he was pulling a BB gun on them. Um, but again, what could they have done in just a couple of minutes leading up to that, that would have not put th those officers in a position where they legitimately and objectively so saw that their lives were in danger, right? Any person in that situation who sees someone with a gun, you know, they're responding to a scene with the person with a gun. When you show up and you see the person with a gun, well then if that person points a gun at you, then you have the lawful authority to... Well, you uh, have to, you have to respond. Exactly. Um, but again, what could the police have done? How could they respond it differently so that they're not in a position where they're, you know, inches away from a person that's pointing a gun at them. And I think there's a lot of things they could have done uh, to prevent that. And that's what happened in Milwaukee. You know, the initial case was, um, that 
Chief Flynn, for the most part, seemed to have agreed that the officer did feel their life was in danger and therefore um, it was a, a lawful uh, shooting of, of the citizen and it killed that citizen. But Chief Flynn said uh, he, the officer responded initially in a way that put that officer in the danger that, that he found himself. So the officer's actions mm-hmm. led him to be in a position. Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, he's justified at, at the moment for pulling his weapon and, and shooting someone. But we have to look at, you know, the, the seconds and minutes before that, what could they have done differently to have prevented themselves from being in that position in the first place? And so, he, so he inflamed the situation. Yeah, from from the at least accounts, that's what the chief exactly that, deduced. That tactically, he could have responded in a way that um, would have um, not gotten himself in a position where he felt his life was in danger. See, and I think that that's I mean that's that's another thing too where people don't realize is like you know sometimes you're Taylor Swift, sometimes it's your fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes you're the one you know that it's you, and it's not to say that. But that's any. But that's anybody. Like that's why this is such a difficult You're thing right. to discuss you because know, it could be anybody right. in any situation. It's like you could have not gotten in a fight with your mom if you just did your homework. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and we're, like you said, we're reluctant to criticize police because of the um, the responsibility that they have and and the the position that they put themselves in to keep us safe. But at the same time, because of the awesome power that they have, I think that comes with a lot of responsibility to be open to. Um, some form of constructive <coughs> criticism and the idea that Bless you know you. we need we need to hold them to a very high standard and like you said it's, it's impossible it is an impossible mandate that police have that at the same time they're taking away their the people's freedom they have to be maintaining their individual rights it's not possible and yet it's what we expect of them every single day and so it you know police you know they're human and they will make mistakes and I think it's important for us as a community as members of the community to um, allow them the, the the space to make those mistakes in ways but then to also hold them accountable in the right ways and that's kind of what we see with you know the best police leaders too is that, that they don't always hang their officers out to dry on the side of the community but um, they hold their officers responsible for high standards um, but also kind of coach them in ways when they do mess up now you, you know you're talking about the killing of an unarmed citizen that's kind of a different level but still the same idea there that um there has to be it goes back to understanding what both sides are, are dealing with there's uh it what what you were what you were saying uh, uh reminded me of a john stewart quote so i just looked it up real quick uh, <laughs> you can you can truly grieve for every officer who's been lost in the line of duty in this country and still be troubled by cases of police overreach those two ideas are not mutually exclusive you can have great regard for law enforcement and still want them to be held to high standards mm-hmm. and that's when when he when he said that um this this was uh this was back in december um that was when the grand jury came out yeah right yeah and uh i i thought that's that summed it up pretty well that that's kind of summed up how i felt about it where you know i i think i think we we need to see both sides and we need to understand you know like i i when i saw the the i can't breathe protests and stuff like that it was like yeah i i get what i absolutely get what you're saying see and then i see the the police officers turning away from the mayor and i go "Ah, that's a little childish but okay you know like you know i i it's it's see but that should be that should be the higher standard that should be the example of the higher standard and whoever's the head of the, the, the 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 police officers union and whoever's the chief of police in new york you know there should there should be punishments for that because it's not about what it's not that moment at a funeral 
Right. It's not about your opinion. Exactly. It has yeah. nothing to do with your feelings towards this issue. It has nothing to do with the feelings towards this man. You lost a brother in combat, man. Right. That was you know disrespectful I mean? do not to the politicize it. Right. And, and that's and that's what it turned into. Right. When the funeral's over and you guys go back to work, if if you want to disrespect de Blasio all you want, you know, while you're not on the clock, because I just read some statistics about how many arrests are being made now. And they're all down by like 96%. Yeah, I just read that. The police officers have decided to not do their job because, and if you can look up the quote, what Bill de Blasio says, it's not inflammatory. Mm. And they took it that way. Right. They politicized it and they put it and they took it to a place where it didn't need to go. Where it could have been, where it could have been a simple conversation. And I don't know why there needs to be a fight between city hall and the police. Because at the end of the day, Contracts. they both want a safe city. <laughs> but but isn't it strange how like it's not about the well being of the public? It's not about you know, it's about money. Well, that, that that's, you know I and here and here's what I do think you know just just to 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 postscript that comment, I think with police, firefighters, EMTs, I think what they do, it's the same as as you know anybody in the military. Like you volunteer for a job. That's going to put your life in danger at any step of the day. You have no idea when it's going to happen. You have no idea when it's not going to happen. You could, you could have an entire career where nothing happened and good for you, but you never know. And there's a constant anxiety there every day that you punch in. And when you punch out and you, you don't know if you're going to go home to see your family, you don't know if that's the day. And you look at those, those two cops that were killed a couple weeks ago, those guys were eating sandwiches. They didn't deserve what happened to them. Right. And you're going to get some lone nuts that do it. So I think there needs to be a, a whole new, like, I, I work here. You know what I mean? I, my job is stressful because I make it that way. My job is stressful because, not, because other people don't make it that way. I'm probably going to go home tonight. The thing that I have to worry about most is a heart attack or uh, like IBS. <laughs> like, that's it. Apparently, there is a risk of sudden death from smoking cigarettes. There's, there's also a sudden de- risk of death from an escalator. Mm. So I'm not really going to live my life being afraid of escalators. In both cases, the BB gun one and Milwaukee and Ferguson, well, all three, I guess. I don't know. That's um, how you teach English. <laughs> are, were, were all three people resisting arrests? The, the child, no. The child the ch- was no. not. Okay, so the child didn't even have a chance to put the gun down? And Eric Gardner, more or less, Eric Gardner no, was I don't not. Think he did. If if you look at the tape of Eric Gardner, it, it, he was not. I brought this up before. Like he wasn't. He was resisting arrest, but like he wasn't. He wasn't like. He wasn't physically like resisting arrest. You're not asking about that, right? You're saying Ferguson. So, Fer, well, here's well, Ferguson. The thing. Ferguson right. I don't know, yeah. and I and I still think no one knows. Yeah, Ferguson is tough to say mm. because you know we have the, the the incident that happens um when when uh there he's at the uh the 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 door of the car and there's some sort of struggle there and the moment there's a struggle it, and then if, then then we have the fact that you know he had walked away and then we don't know if he came back at him there's this idea that maybe he charged and maybe he didn't and maybe he was looking at him and maybe he wasn't and but here's just, but, but it, here's the thing as a police officer right and i get in fights with my father about this all the time mm-hmm. 
specifically. I know. I witnessed one. Yeah, you witnessed. Yeah, that was fun, right? Yeah. The, the the moment something happened at the at the car, there's justification there. Hmm. You know, he's he's the 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 police Darren Wilson, right? Mm-hmm. The, the that police officer at that moment when 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 I I I, I don't care if you're African American, Latino, um, polka dots, and a Klingon, you go to a car and 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 you reach into a police officer's car, you're giving him provocation. Okay, to me, that means I have no idea what this guy is going to do next. Okay, he's already reached into my car. He's gone for my gun. Okay, he may have walked away and turned around and said, allegedly, apparently, forensically, they can they explained that something did happen at the car. We we, yeah, I mean, they did. They did find uh, blood you know and in the in the car okay so the something car. happened so at the, do, something happened at the car that drew right. blood and i'm right. sure it wasn't a paper cut or or, or, right. a, or a loose trapper keeper sure that did it so we have to presume <laughs> right. something physical happened at the car mm-hmm. now regardless now the question is right if the shots were fired at the car we probably wouldn't have an issue right now right the fact that he walked away and we don't know what happened after that. Right. That's where the problem lies. Yeah. Because, because, because to me, it, it seems to me that he kind of got away with assaulting an officer. And then he would have been better off just like walking away because he didn't get, he, he, they didn't fire at that moment. He didn't fire at that moment. And then now you look at this this cop who's who's not, you know, back to I don't care if you're African American, Latino, or, or a Klingon, you know, when somebody of that stature comes to you, and, and Wilson's only like five eight, five nine, he's not a, he's not a large he's not a large person, like that's intimidating. Like Rich, you're taller than me, and if you came at me, I'd I be think a little. They're, they're both the same height. But no, one wasn't. But uh, wasn't Michael so. Brown was? Michael he was Brown like six was, five. Was uh, heftier. I think. Well, I mean, he looked same height, he, he, but one. Well, he looked like, like a, a nose tackle for like there. you know the Eagles. Like he was, a, he was a he was a big dude. You know what I mean? Right. And, and when you watch, and there was surveillance video before when he when he stole cigars, right? Mm-hmm. He stole mm-hmm. cigars. You know, there was no weapon involved. No, you but, just push the guy around. Yeah, but watch watch the reaction of that. Like, like, what was that store owner supposed to do? Right. You know what I mean? You just stole from me. You committed a crime. And then, and then what you say to me is, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. I'm going to call the cops. That's all I can do. That's my, that's my, that's my recourse. That's, that's what I'm going to do. So in the Ferguson situation, like, I don't know, you know, and that's the thing that like really bothers me is that like, I don't know. And part of me, part of me is like totally justified. And the other part of me is could have been handled better. But in that, that's one of those situations where, like, unfortunately, it ends up the way it ends up. You know, should somebody be held accountable for it? I'm not really sure. Because what happened, happened. You know, there was a big uproar, you know, and it, and it brought to the forefront, you know, some sort of, you know, you know, problems with the police. But, you know, there's, there's, there's like I said, there's problems with plumbers, man. There's some plumbers who steal for, there's, you know what I mean? There's, there's. Mace. You said you said a bad apple, you know, or is it a bad orchard? 
I think it's all bad apples. I don't think it's a bad orchard. I think the orchard most, I was just talking about was the police department level. Right. So, like, so know, that's what I'm saying is I, I don't think yeah. it's like this systematic yeah. like, hey, shoot first, ask questions later. I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I, I personally don't think that Wilson's a bad cop. You know, I, I personally don't think that the Eric, the, the cop for Eric Gardner is a bad cop. I think that it's just it's a bad situation. Right. And, and, and honestly, everybody's a victim in it. And it's like, like Mike said, the, the training that leads up to that as well, you know, was was it's, the it, training sufficient? You know, was it uh, the, the, the kind of, uh, you know, do they have the kind of situation uh, where you have a boiling point like Ferguson, where it seemed like uh, I don't I don't think this one incident uh, is the thing that really started all this. I think it, it boiled up to this point and then this incident happens and then it sets off these, you know, riots. Well, it's, it's the match. We have, it's, we've it's had it happen in our own yeah. city before. Have we? Yeah. There was, um, <clears throat> I believe it was like maybe four or five years ago, there was a woman that was, mm-hmm. um, she was mentally unstable. I believe it was in North Scranton. She was, I, I think she was naked and she had a knife and the police shot her. Oh yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah, that's right. So I mean, well, I there mean, was a lot of question about that, but we didn't start rioting in the streets. So I think if that was happening on a very large scale around here, maybe then it would lead to rioting in the streets. Did so. they declare martial law here after that happened? No, and, no. and but but no, but but now you know, going back to Ferguson, it's like oh, the grand jury you know comes out with 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 their decision, and if I'm not mistaken, the police were kind of like told to like stay back. The police were Let them removed burn it down. from the situation. Finally, yes. After initially being perceived as being a little heavy-handed with their approach, they said, you know, give people some space to to present their... And uh, can I just say for the record, can we stop getting Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson involved in these situations? Because <laughs> I think it inflames it more and it makes it worse. Well, they're opportunists. That's the emotional... That's the emotional riling that's happening. Yeah, you know, you, when, when Ferguson first happened, Jesse Jackson went down there and, you know... The residents of Ferguson are like, why are you here? Like, right. Well, home. I have, I don't know. I'll well, they're, that for another They're like podcast. these, these That's useless TV podcast. pundits just in a different form. That's all they are. I, I just you find know, it entirely. These, these guys that they, they rattle off the well, same, they're fanning the, flames the same shtick wherever they go and they profit from it. You know, that's, that's the thing is, is you, you have to, you have to always consider the source. And when it comes from people like that, you're like, well, what do they have to gain by saying these things? You know, I think there's two different parts that we have to keep in mind here too that are are useful. One is that uh, there are people who like to use an instance like what happened in Ferguson to to make some point that see this illustrates all the things we've been fighting for for the last forty years, mm-hmm. and so we have to keep that in mind. But then, secondly, or you know, the other side of that is we also need to keep in mind that what these individuals are arguing for. There's either if if there's not some reality to it, then there's at least some reality that people are feeling this way. So again, I'm not making a judgment about the reality of of either racist policing or you know abuse by police. And I'm not making a judgment about that. But if there's a segment of your population that feels that that is the case, it's in our best interest as a community and as a police department to respond to that in some way. So, Doctor. No, Mike. but when you wait, wait, hold on. When you say, "Sorry, I'm sorry, Lauren." When you say respond to it, you mean get in a conversation about acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge right. it. Right. And then what are you going to do about it? Right. Are you going to close up and say that no, we're perfect, we're fine, there's nothing we can do about it? You know, 
just live with it? Or are you going to open up a dialogue? Are you going to look at maybe ways that we could train differently, understand differently? Um, and I'm not saying it's necessarily, you know, in Ferguson, they talked about, well, hire more black and Hispanic police officers. That's not the answer. No. And I'm actually working on a paper right now where I, I find that um, that's one of the, the, the least supportive um, items that, that police officers will agree with when it comes to how they could better work with the community. They're not worried about diversifying. And this is from individuals who are black and Hispanic. Um, so there are, th- but the idea is, again, there may be no truth to the, to the issues that people are raising when it comes to the, the profession. There's probably some truth to it. Um, so we need to acknowledge whatever that truth might be, be, what that truth might be. But we also need to look at the fact that, hey, there's people who think this and they're a vocal part of our community or they're a large numerical part of our community. And that means something to us as a profession. And too often, I think, you know, historically, police have, have not been open to that type of, that type of dialogue. Um, and part of it goes back to this idea that you said before about there's so much emphasis on the danger. It's one of the most defining aspects of the profession is that, you know, I need to get, make sure that I come home safely. And that is all consuming sometimes. And it is, I mean, it's, it's, we know that, that there's a lot of potential for danger in policing. Um, the likelihood is, is low, but there's a lot of potential and that, um, we need to make sure that we're, we're keeping police as safe as possible. But we also have to acknowledge that, you know, they are a governmental institution that, it uh, needs to act more legitimately and be held responsible for for policing in a way that upholds rights and, and keeps individuals safe. Lauren? Oh, now it's my turn. I'm sorry. I'm such a man. You've been thinking too long, huh? Well, Dr. Mike, tell me about some of these worms in the orchard, so to speak. Okay, yeah. I, I mentioned one before, and, um, you know... One might be again the way that you're supervising individuals, and either either lacks supervision, or supervision that is encouraging certain behaviors that aren't necessarily in the best interest of the community. So as I said before, numbers, mm-hmm. right? If if you are, and this is what we saw, I think in New York, if you, if you're pressuring your police officers to get you citations, what what they call um, the Form 250s in New York, where the, the stop question yeah, yeah. first documents that they had to fill out, they were you know they're stopping Mickey Mouse, so that they were creating fraudulent documents. Other people would argue that they were probably also stopping individuals who they otherwise did not have reasonable suspicion to stop, which is, you know, legal standard for making a stop. Um, But of course, whenever it's the police officer's word against the individual citizens, Mm -hmm. you know, we're always going to trust the the police officer. That's one way. Another way may be, again, in training and not giving... um, officers the appropriate training in either sensitivity training or understanding of the community that you're dealing with that it might oftentimes be very different from you and your background and your understanding of, of police authority um, and then there's also more of the tactical type of responding responding to situations um, so you said before mark that um, it's you know there's there's not they're not bad cops and I think I'd clarify that and, and again not speaking to individual cops or individual circumstances but rather I would say that for the most part, they're not bad people, but I think there there's some cops who make mistakes and they're not bad people, but they're not a great cop uh, because yeah. of either the supervisory um, aspect or because of the, the lack of training, you know, um, and, you know, just like you, 
you said um, you might have a, a bad waiter at a, at a restaurant. They're not bad people, but you know, I was a no, waiter. No, no. I was terrible. <laughs> I'm not a bad person, but you know, I, I spilled drinks on people. Get your thumb I, out of my I, soup. <laughs> I, I spoke to people in ways that were just, you know, very short and um, it wasn't a bad person. I just wasn't trained well, wasn't supervised well. And I, and I think that's a lot of what we have to keep in mind with, with police is they're not bad people. And like you said, I believe that Darren Wilson did not go to work that day saying that he wants to kill somebody. I don't no. think Pantaleo, the officer in, um, in uh, New York, I don't think he said, I want to kill somebody today or any other day for that matter. Um, but I think in some cases there are the cops who just have not been trained to the best standards, have not been supervised in ways that, um, that speak to a department wide type of blemish. Um, and thankfully, you know, because of the circumstances that a lot of police deal with, the the maybe the inef- the, um, the the lack of, of of effectiveness of that police department doesn't necessarily come to the forefront because they're not dealing with a lot of big problems. But sometimes it does. So, what can we do as private citizens to help our police force actually do their job better? Really, and Jimmy thinks that we should all read Orwell. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to start by maybe having every single citizen in the United States read my text. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's available on Amazon. Amazon. Uh, um, Not now, the Kindle. I mean, feel free to read it if you'd like. But uh, first of all, again, understanding, being open to the other perspective. And so if you're in the community and you think that police are abusive and police don't respect you, again, that may be based on some reality of either firsthand or secondhand knowledge. But nonetheless, step back and say, what am I dealing with in terms of the police profession, the danger that they face, the fact that most of them are good people and they want good things for me and my community. Um, So that again, empathy on both sides, first of all, secondly is transparency. I think is important for uh, police departments so that we as citizens are demanding that of our police departments and uh, it's transparency, transparency in cases where, um, you know, there might be uh, the police department is dealing with a situation where a police officer is accused of some wrongdoing and i think we need to as citizens right one of the founding principles of uh, anglo-saxon policing is that the the police are the community and the community are the police and too often we see those two groups as completely opposite and we need to realize that they're, they're one and the same and that police are need to be accountable to the community and we need to demand that accountability um, of them and in the end, it makes police jobs easier because they're not being mother effed, they're not being disrespected by citizens, right? And I think all of us in this room respect police, right? We have good reason to. Our individual experiences and the experiences of our families have been mostly positive experiences with police. There are groups of people in our society who that is not the case, right? At, either at the neighborhood level or at a community level where time and time again, again, historically, mm-hmm. uh, certainly not so much today, um, they have not had that same type of positive relationship. And so, um, and, and the police too, right? They've not always felt that the community um, is there to help them. The community wants to support them. Just um, this week, the Washington Post put out a, uh, an article that said 37 um, people in the Maryland, D.C. area have been killed uh, since I think 2004, and they were killed because they were either helping police or suspected of helping police solve certain cases. So, um, you know, you add that to kind of the, the, snop, the, the stop snitching mentality, this idea that the community is not going to work, work with the police. And lo and behold, you have police saying the community, you know, doesn't care. They don't care about themselves. 
They don't care about keeping them, themselves safe. They certainly don't care about us. Well, and, it, I mean, I mean, there has to come a point where you know the the police as an as a as a as an organization or as an entity, you know, sometimes you know just throws their hands up in the air and they're like, we don't know what to do. Yeah, I, because I, because it's the whole Jerry Maguire thing. Like like help me help you. You know, and and if nobody's willing to do that, and they constantly look at the people who are, I mean, they're, it's the it's the whole thing where like everybody looks back and they're like, you know, f the police. There, there are somebody's s- in my house. I need the police. Yeah, exactly. You know I, mean? that's, I think I think you're absolutely. Right. That's, that's yeah. a real feeling that that police would have. That you know, here we are. We want. You it's got to be incredibly frustrating. Exactly. I guess is what I'm trying to get yeah. to. Yeah. But I'd imagine it is. There's some places in the United States that are still like 19th century in terms of they don't have a police force they are still run by the neighborhood mm-hmm. and it's kind of got to be difficult for the police to have to deal with that when the community is not entirely well i mean the only thing too is like you know i, I think what's it one one police officer per thousand citizens or more there's a, about a million police officers in the united states so that's one police officer per 480 people are you know. making it's, it's that af- up it's after eight o'clock i can't do that math in my head you're making up that. I mean, it, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's grossly disproportionate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, but, it, but, it, but it, you know, the and the other thing too is like, you know, isn't the goal to have little to no crime as possible? That's the idea. That's another founding principle, right? Is that the measurement of whether police are being effective is the absence of disorder and crime, not the police activity. So it's not about police. Just it's not about police doing patrols. It's not about police writing tickets or making arrests. It's about the lack of disorder and crime but some people just want to watch the world burn i know that but and that's why you're never going to have like you know there's there's no organization no group no job uh anything out there that is a hundred percent good you know whether it's teachers or you know what there's some bad teachers (laughs) there's some bad there's some bad people who salt the roads (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yes. it, there's yes, nothing 100% perfect, you know? And I can't, I can't think of, you know, it, and it's, and it's like, <clears throat> you know, it, uh, uh, politics, you know what I mean? It's not that like, why is the first thing to be like, if something screws up, it's like, oh, you know, we have to get rid of the head guy in charge. You know, it's, it's not, it's a, you want the guy who knows all the problems there. You want the guy who can handle it? Like they, they, I think they were calling for the chief of police of Ferguson to just stand down, and I'm like, that doesn't help because he's the one who knows what the hell's going on. Like he's the one with the firsthand knowledge on how to fix it, you know. So maybe it's a better interaction. Like, okay, the course of action that we're pursuing right now, that we have been on, the road that we've been on, we need we need to put the brakes on a little bit, reassess, and figure out what we're doing. Take a breath. Don't be impulsive. All of these things that we're seeing on the news, all of these, all of these, all of these emotional things are based on emotion. They're not based on calm, rational thought. Why is it this way? Well, why isn't it this way? Well, what happened here? What truly happened here? What were the precipitating factors to get us to here? You know, we all know what happened afterwards, but what got us here? You know, a car accident isn't just a car. Like something happened. Who wasn't paying attention? Who was driving too fast for the roads? Who was drinking? You know, it's not just a car accident, but in these situations, horrible things happen and they're going to happen everywhere. My father's in the steel business. There's a lot of people who got killed with a beam falling on them. 
through negligence or through just not paying attention or through like it happens, you know, and yes, should people be accountable, especially in, you know, in the, in the public realm, which is, I mean, what they are, they're public servants that, that, that want to do this, you know, and yes, we should hold them accountable. But and that plays into the, the higher standard thing we're talking about. Too, absolutely. You know, yeah. They, they should because, be held to a higher they're, standard. They're at this level where we have to trust them so much more than I would trust the guy that salts the roads or the guy that, you know, uh, stocks yeah. the shelves at a convenience store. Like he, he's at this level where yeah, he's we're, the guy <laughs> who, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I get, if I call nine one one, you know, I want that the, a guy who's very responsible, who knows how to respond to that right. sort of, uh, you know, incident to show up and handle himself in a way that's going to save my life or protect my family. You Absolutely. Know? So, you know, but we're also the same type of people who are like Domino screwed up my meal. Forget <laughs> Domino's forever. Well, yeah, but that's just that's that's the general public talking. They just want to complain and, about but anything. These, but these are the people that are talking, right? You know, and, and dominating the conversation. They're really. totally dominating the kind of like I. Do. I understand this feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, well, explain that then. Uh, Coming I, from you know, I, I think you kind of agree with us, but. You know, differences are good amongst people, and and you're a, a, a different in an amazing way. Are you referring to my skin color? <laughs> I think that's what this is. What started this whole I thing? I didn't this is say how that, this all did. started. <laughs> just, I didn't say that. Let's put all our apples out on a row. This is how this whole thing started, really, and also uh, the cigarette thing because I wanted the cigarette earlier, and I was just mad at myself. So I'm actually taking it out on you much more. So I kind of apologize look, for that. Look, if you can stay, if if you can better yourself, I'm my trying. faults go oh, for my it. Goodness. Um, my perspective of race and skin color is very bizarre because I am of mixed race and my father is uh, of darker complexion from another country. So when I see other people being picked on for their skin color or where they're from, I, I take it a little bit more personally than I probably should because growing up, I was I had a, an ambiguously uh, I, I had ambiguous identity towards different. I, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Different types of heritages. So depending on what racial community I was in, I was either considered an outsider or an insider or kind of both. Or just a total outsider to both. It was, it was a bizarre way to grow up (laughs) being a mix. So when I see this sort of thing, I get, I get hypersensitive. So I think what would might be helpful in terms of preventing future uh, anxiety towards police would maybe be to discuss some of the things that I, uh, an average citizen might do to prevent being found in trouble with police. Like, what should we do if we're pulled over or stopped and frisked or anything like that? Like, what what are common practices that we should be all familiar with? I think that that would be very helpful for all of us to know. Well, I, but I think... I think, unfortunately, the 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 temperature has kind of moved into a way that if a police officer comes near you and just asks something as simple as, hey, what are you doing? That whomever is on the receiving end of that, hey, how you do? what are you doing? Immediately gets defensive. And I think that's where it comes in. You always see the asshole driving around trying to get through through the DUI checkpoint without going. Am I being you know? Am I being detained? Am I being mm-hmm. detained? Am I being detained? Show the guy your license. People behind you want to go places. 
You know, like stop. Like, okay, can I see your ID? Sure. And then you have people making an example, you know, comparing it to like Nazi Germany. Papos, it's not the same, man. Like they just right. want to know who you are. Make sure there's no warrants out for you. Basically. So, you know what I mean? I guess I guess a good answer. Yeah, it's an inconvenience, but it's an inconvenience. It's a minor, minor inconvenience. So that one day, mm-hmm. you don't get shot. Right. Or robbed. Or hurt. Or beat up. Or mu- like, that's what it is. It's a minor price to pay. There's no such thing as true freedom in this country. And then that turns into a discussion of police resources and where they should be concentrated you know because you know when when say a dui checkpoint comes up which you know they're controversial in themselves uh you have people who say well they should be out stopping crimes why are there there there's uh you know guys in wilkesbury getting robbed right now but you know these guys are you know downtown here you know harassing just everyday folk and you know they should be out doing this and you know i i i see that point but i also say well then you know crime prevention is tough you know i mean how do you end up being in the right place at the right time in the same way that you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time and get robbed you know right. so what, what may, maybe uh the police patrolling a certain area would would be more helpful you know i, but, I don't but, know but, but god forbid you know you're i don't know who organizes the dui checkpoints right but let's say you know carl is the one who, that's like my go-to name. I don't know why. But Bill, Bill's going to set up a DUI checkpoint. And he's like, ah, no, we don't need to do it. We're not going to use the resources. People are bitching, blah, blah, blah. And that night, somebody who was going, who, who would have been going through that DUI checkpoint hits a family of people right. and kills them. It, like, it, how, how, do you, how do you the next morning justify that? And you can live in the worlds of what ifs and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's, it's preventing one crime or another. You know, either you're preventing that crime or you're, you know, you're in the other side of town hoping to prevent another crime, you know? So what's more effective? I mean, but, but, I I th- but I think that, I think just pointing even those two things out kind of paints a picture of how difficult it is to do what they do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's easy for us to sit here and say, here's what they should be doing with their time, you know, because of my personal experience or my personal bias. But it's another thing to actually be doing. The no, job. I mean, how much how much shit do the cops and, and the firefighters of Scranton go through? I mean, you know, they're they're vilified. Sure. And, and it's all because of, the, you know, the wrong reasons. They're I, not they're not out there. And, and I, you know, I with, saw with, that. with delusions of grandeur, like they're out there doing a job, but yet they're getting vilified for reasons that have nothing pertaining to the performance of their job. Sure. Sure. I mean, I saw that firsthand as a, as a reporter, you know, that was when, uh, the, at the time that I was, you know, doing that beat, uh, it was when, when, uh, city council was on one side and the mayor was on the other and they were, you know, fighting over money and resources and everything else. And then, uh, the, uh, uh, police and fire departments uh were were fighting over their contracts and sued the city and the uh, and they won eventually they they did win and so uh they were owed a lot of back pay and a lot of (laughs) money that the city did not have and was and was broke so you had all these lawmakers in between 
they're uh, in, in between a rock and a hard place because, you know, you want to obviously support these guys and you want to, you know, give them the money that they're owed and, and you know, in, in many cases deserved. Uh, and then on the other side, you're like, well, the, the city's also completely broke. So, I mean, you know, saying it is one thing, but actually having the resources to do it and to right. pay these guys is another, you know, so where does that money go and stuff? So, and then that, that turns into a discussion about uh, unions and things like that too. You know, uh, are, are the unions greedy or, you know, are they just fighting for the little guy, you know, and, you know, you, there's, and I, and I saw both sides of that, you know, in, in some cases I could see, uh, what the mayor was saying in other cases, I could definitely see what the unions were saying. And, and, uh, but it, and in any case, uh, I felt the local media really did a poor job of covering the whole thing. I, th- I thought oh, they were, they, it was bias. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, a, it was complete, a complete disservice to both sides. Uh, and I think completely. that's what's happening nationally yeah yeah and that's and just seeing that on a small level kind of made me realize you know what you kind of all always suspect that the 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 mainstream media is much much worse and <laughs> that's kind of what it, i'm laughing because it's true that it's kind of confirmed it for me hour you know what, watching uh how the, how they handled things and how it really turned more into about sound bites and about who's saying who about what and this very childish back and forth and very little distribution of facts and and what and what was actually how how much money is owed why is it owed uh let's break down what does the law say things like that if you asked your average person that everybody had an opinion uh, especially at that time when it was a hot topic but very few people could screw them. That was very few people could rattle off those facts though. You know, it was mostly, uh, skewed one way or the other. And here's why I think that. And it was mostly because, well, the mayor has that smug attitude and I don't like the way he says this, but you know, the unions, it's like, Oh no, you know, they're just, they're, they're greedy and they're filling their pockets. And it was like, you know, because they're, they're seeing the political cartoons in the newspaper with, uh, you know, guys shoving money in their pockets. And it's like, well, is that really, you know, your educated opinion or is it the way that the media is presenting it to but you? But the awful thing is, is it, is it, is it tarnishes the job? Right. And, you know, it, it made me, you know, while, while this stuff was going on, while Eric Garner, Michael Brown, that all comes up again. Well, is, is the media stoking the fire because it's good news? They're stoking, because it's good reporting? No, no, no. It, it's, <laughs> like, it's being stoked due to the fact that it gets people talking. Right. Well, you know. It's, it's the water cooler talk. It's the, it's, the, it's the trending stuff. It's the stuff that if it bleeds, it leads. Bleeds, it leads, yep. People are going to, look. No news station around here has ever opened up with kittens and puppies. It's always a murder or a fire. Right. That's it. Can we do kittens and puppies next week? I, sure. I don't know how that helps. And chocolate. And chocolate. And chocolate. And a pizza nah, we're party. We're not going back to chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what do you, I mean, do you kind of share the same... Because I mean, because what happens is, is unfortunately, it's like, you know, we like like the beat cops, like the cops that are out there, like, you know, walking the streets, riding the bikes, driving the cars like they're not really the bureaucracy of it. You know, they're the guys out there with like their life's on the line or whatever. They don't have the desk job. Right. You know, and that's not to condemn or, you know, say that, you know, the desk job guy is better than the, you know, but like, you know, or the chief is, has a has a least hard job because he's, you know, not out in the middle of Watts. You know, it's all a very difficult job because everybody has to balance the slope of like being, you know, either political or, or being bureaucratic, bureaucratic or whatever. And, you know, I mean, what was the perspective for for you 
from interviewing, you know, kind of like, you know, all the higher up guys and then going, you know, I hate to say this, but street level and going out and seeing what it is. And, you know, is there a difference if there is there a different view from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top? Because I'm sure a lot of the bottom guys are like, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then the top guys are like, they're asking for crazy shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Let me say two things. First of all, I mean from what Rich was saying about um, kind of the lack of balance and perspective in covering these types of events and and issues that pertain to policing. um, That's one of the reasons why I like doing these types of uh, shows and these types of interviews, because I'd like to try to place things in a more reasonable, I hope perspective about, you know, the reality of what's going on and, and um, how we can see, you know, both sides to try to come together in some type of happy agreement. Um, I guess that's part of my being a Libra. You know, I'm, I'm coming Libra to a fault where I could balance both sides. And <laughs> I like to be able to try to present that um, for kind of for the, the common good, if you will. Um, but to your point about the difference between kind of your line officers and, and management officers, that there, there certainly is, you know, and the research shows that there's this street culture of being a police officer on the line and then the management culture that they talk about. And it's funny because, um, you know, there's obviously some misunderstanding between the two and some, some, um, misperceptions over what the other is. And, um, you know, police officers think that, their supervisors don't understand them and supervisors say that, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And yet, you know, supervisors were line officers at one time. And so of course they understand what police are doing and and they, they get what, um, what they're trying to do. Um, but it certainly is, again, looking at the research, it certainly is a kind of a stressor for people, you know, officers in the streets to say, um, if I have a supervisor who's, you know, they always say, hang me out to dry, like who's going to hold me responsible for X, Y, and Z, when really I'm just trying to do my job well, um, that's a stress for me, you know, if, if I misspeak or say the wrong thing. And that's why I think, again, we need to acknowledge that police will make mistakes, right? When, when you talk about the level of, of importance of people within the police organization, we know that any the, the largest part of any police department is going to be their patrol officers. And we call the patrol officers the backbone of the police department, right? They're the ones who are interfacing with the community. They're the ones that have the most discretion in the types of ways that they're going to in, intervene in, in any circumstance. Well, they're the, and, they're the front line and they know what the mud smells like. Yeah, they do. And, and they're the ones who are going to have to make these decisions. That, you know, it's not a supervisor. It's not a chief who's making a split second decision. It's a patrol officer. Mm-hmm. And um, because it's such a highly discretionary type of environment, we have to give them the proper training. We have to recruit the right type of people, and we have to hold them to the right type of to the right level of responsibility while still acknowledging they're going to make mistakes. Um, so I, I, I mean, that's kind of my take on on the the two cultures there of, of the line officers and, and the stress that they feel, and of course management, where you know they have people above them who are who are trying to tell them what they need to do, that they need to get crime down, and they need to put more of their officers in this area of the city because people are calling the mayor and saying we you know we haven't seen the police um and so again it's this it's part of this impossible mandate that police face that they're, they're pulled in all these directions be, you know because they're accountable to us as the public well the public means a lot right the public means joe you know q citizen it means the mayor it means your local church it means your local pastor it means your local businessman right your local attorneys i mean and, and police have to well, try no public to, there's no cops if you have nobody to patrol, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? but, I, but 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 police have to respond to all those varying concerns. Oh my and, god! You know, limited resources, limited personnel, and, yep. and limited patience, or even even limited 
ability, right? They, they can't do everything that, that we want them to. And when in our society, the way we've set it up, and you know, it's partly because of the, the invention of 911 is that when, when we don't know who else to call, we call the cops, mm-hmm. right? It's not the Ghostbusters, it's not the mayor. We don't know what, who to call, we're gonna call the police and they're gonna help us. And um, that puts a, a big strain on police resources. And, and we expect a lot of our police. You know, I remember one police officer in, in uh, an affluent town in New Jersey saying that, uh, you know, they respond to calls of uh, people who, who need help unraveling their hoses, their garden hoses, right? God, to be shitting up. me. You call, we come right um they're getting paid well they're, they they have you know relatively safe jobs and so in that community in that that specific department or the coyote yeah. took my cat yeah cat stuck in the tree right yeah, Mr. In that cat stuck it, up in the tree in that, in that oh. situation it's cheaper for the town or the borough or whatever to buy that person a new hose <laughs> yeah you're, you're right you and that, that's a whole other issues that we instead we of taking the, the resources away from the from from the police department it's cheaper to be like i can't wrap my hose here's a new one here's a, here's 40 bucks because it's it, it costs us that much you're with right. this guy's yeah. time i don't know that, but, might, that sounds like harrington park i'm gonna throw them under the bus i, I, I can't say, say the name of the town but um you know the the other side of that too is that we do you know, the, the police are there for us and, and we need to work together to say, what could we expect of you and, and what do you expect of us as a community? And, um, you know, how can we work together to make sure that we're all living safe and orderly lives? Because in the end, that's all we want, right? Even in the worst neighborhoods in the United States. And there are some really bad neighborhoods that fortunately probably many of us have never been to, but there are neighborhoods that are burned out, that, that suffer from undereducation, underemployment, um, from years of systematic racism at different levels and from different sources. Um, and in those towns, though, you know, where there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of criminals, most people still are law-abiding individuals even criminals most of the time are law-abiding right and so um we need to acknowledge that that's that, ironic that um they pay their taxes well you know they try to um <laughs> they w- they they want to <laughs> put it th- let's put it that way i heard a story once and i don't know if i don't know if this is true my um a family friend knew somebody who worked for the fbi and the fbi was looking for a certain individual. And this is, this has to be like 20, 25 years ago, maybe. And, um, the FBI and the IRS do not, or at least back then didn't share information. They're two different entities. It's like, kind of like what you have with the FBI and the CIA where they're like, no, we got it. No, we got it. We're not going to work together. But this certain individual was selling drugs and the FBI was looking for them. They couldn't catch him. Ironically on the IRS tax return, under occupation, they put drug dealer. How stupid is that? But they paid the taxes on all their income. And they couldn't, the FBI couldn't share the information with, and it wasn't until later. And now I don't know if this is an urban legend, but this <laughs> is what I was like told. It. It's, you know, it, it, as long as you're honest on your, your tax returns. <laughs> you just have to declare your earnings. You don't have to say what they are. I can't say what my, I don't have to say, I don't do my taxes. I'm just. Oh my goodness. So I have a question. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not mean I don't do, I don't do tax returns. I just don't do my taxes. That's good. Someone else does. That's fine. You just send it a big check. I hope that it covers it. <laughs> Here is some glitter glue. And, Stick a gum. Uh, picture of a unicorn. A picture of a unicorn. And, and some a macaroni drawing. Gum. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
Okay. Now I have to reveal the other bias that I have Uh-oh. before I declare this question, because uh, in addition to my my cultural sensitivity, I also come from a, a kind of a cop family. So I also tend to towards uh, sympathy for the police force. Do you think that the reduction in police funding and the reduction of pensions at all is swaying the the quality of recruitment and retention of police force in certain areas? Uh, that's an empirical question that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not familiar with research on that. Now, I, I mean, I could guess um, if you're saying that, you know, that there's a police department that's going through contract negotiations and you're saying that if they're coming out with lower pay in the end, and is that what you're saying? If that's going to affect the kind of, um, I would guess that in the short term, maybe, right. That there may be work slowdowns. There may be, um, a, a bruise to the morale there. Um, and we've seen that over the last few years, right. With police departments having cutbacks and, um, and having to backfill positions, which means essentially demotions for mm-hmm. people. Um, but I think in the grand scheme of things, in the long term, you know, again, if we look at police as workers who, who want to do their jobs well, who want to get fulfillment out of their jobs, I think that any type of um, initial um, slowdown in their work or any initial type of uh, lack of enthusiasm in what they might be doing would eventually you know, wear away. Um, it is certainly possible that could be a tipping point there. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that that can't happen. Um, but you know, in, in the circumstances currently in, you know, certain departments that I'm thinking of, um, yeah, I, I think initially there'll be some, some uh, reduction in, in the quality of, of police services, just like there would be in any other type of work environment. But in the long term, I think it would be, it would kind of even out. Did you have a thought on that, that, that you asked that question? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> this seems like a, a pretty specific question that maybe you were, you had. Certain no, thoughts. that question actually it stems towards a lot of other uh, mm-hmm. a lot of other industries that are experiencing the same thing as well. There's reductions in pay across a lot of government exactly, jobs. Exactly. And it seems exactly. it seems epidemic. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's you know the new new as people say it's a new reality in terms of what we're dealing with economically. And it's, um, I should mention my, my co-author and on this book and now a second book that's coming out, um, which is, is another hunger games book It's on union, <laughs> on police unions of mm. all things. And, um, my co-author, John DiCarlo is a former police officer and a former police chief. He was a chief of a small police department and he was an officer for uh, 34 years with, with, mm. is he local? He's at John Jay college in New York. Mm-hmm. Could we possibly um, get him in here to Maybe uh, someday down the road I'm sure when you Skype, guys finish the book. I'm sure he would Skype. Yeah. Could, I, I, yeah. Jimmy, are we capable of doing uh, <clears throat> phone-in? We are now. Thank, thanks yeah, for, thanks just, for the jubilance on just, that one. Just now? <laughs> yeah. I, I've been looking into it recently. We are now! <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, been, I've been looking into it recently, and I'm pretty sure we can do it. We just have to run a test. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if worse comes to worse, it would it would be nice to have you know. Yeah, I know he'd be. Open when's to that. when's yeah. the new book coming out? Well, we or, just submitted. We we just submit the manuscript to the publisher uh, last week, and so depending, you know, they say six to eight weeks for a turnaround. So hopefully, um, by spring break, it'll be out. What, what a weird barometer to 
<laughs> that's uh, academic before calendar. Before I go to Cancun, cal- yeah, before I head with off my to, new uh, baby, <laughs> just in time for them. I'll to, actually for, be in Nicaragua for spring break. <laughs> oh my goodness! Just in time to order the books for the fall semester. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put your book orders in, professors. There you go. Yeah, do it early. So, uh, in, unless there's anything else we really want to get into, uh, I think I think we should uh, wrap up. But um, we we usually I wanted to introduce this uh, segment last week. We were running long, so I didn't I didn't bother with it. So this week uh, we'll we'll throw it in quick. Uh, we still don't have a name for it because I'm sure we have to come up with some kind of cheesy alliteration or something that will will play into the readership. But uh, we'd like to just you know. Uh, acknowledge the fact that uh we do listen to our readers and we, and we do take every little bit of you know comments and criticisms and emails and everything into consideration uh you know even if we don't respond right right away because uh, i've got a million other things going on now mike if you're not familiar with this this is the part where we get to be judge jury and executioner right okay. we just get to say whatever with internet bullying say. we can okay. take on anybody well you know the, the um or internet positivity yeah well i mean we, we 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 love our readers and we get and we get all kinds just like anybody else um so but i, I thought this one was an interesting one and that's why i want to read this one uh it was an email sent to me a couple of days ago and it was in, entitled interactive science museum and i was like okay interesting so i'll just say the guy's name is john i won't say any more than that uh he said john phillips from last week <laughs> it's not john phillips. from mcr <laughs> sent an email this is just the kind of uh i'll just say uh, the random things that i get um which uh this this is this is pretty common and you're right in, you're ripe now see now that you've ventured on your own right you're i mean you had some experience it with with it at the other place but now you're like ripe for oh yeah everything sure good sure. bad and different out there in there <laughs> crazy I, or good i don't know well i i ran a, a, a very very short story uh i was in uh books a million the other day and the, bam the guy <laughs> who came up to who came behind me was uh the guy who believes that elephant was, uh, you know, built by aliens and the pyramids and all this other kind of stuff. Elephant, uh, Jimmy. Yeah, he's elephant, Pennsylvania. Right. Oliphant was built by uh, the uh, Lord of the Rings. It's not Olif. Oh, the Olif Oliphants was a creation of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, well, elephant. Elephant is actually the center of the universe. If you do some research on it, because of the way the the churches are arranged in elephant. I think it's something Get based off of the constell- yeah, it's that, something based off of the constellations that's, that that's makes what this guy's claim. Oliphant the center of the universe. He the the known universe. Yes. The well, But that doesn't take into account the rapid ex- in, increasing expansion of the known universe. It nor does. the multiverse. It takes that all into no, account. it cannot possibly it because does. It's, the, it's, it's, it's mathematical. No, it's not. It's, it's changing. Lauren, Lauren, just like the math. Just like some people want to watch the world burn. Some people want Elephant to be the center of the universe. And this guy does. Okay. And he's been written it's, about right. before. And you know what? Maybe it's media. not that he wants to. Maybe it really is the center of the universe. Well, it's something that you should at least research before I'd you really make a like decision. To, I'd on. really like to talk to NASA first before we it's, talk to the guy. Well, how about we have that guy in here? The center of the no, universe. The center of the universe. Is closer yeah. to the Andromeda galaxy. No. Wait, Rich didn't, else, Rich didn't even tell his story. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. We're not even the center of our own galaxy. No. Well, we're only like a few miles from it. But oh my god, A few miles? Okay. Chipotle's a few miles away, Jim. That's and that's in Dixon six. City too, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. So, so long okay. story short, this guy is very nasty and very obnoxious, and he will do anything to come up behind you and whisper weird things in your ear like and what? try to get you to to listen to his little spiel about elephant. Did he know who you are? No. He, it's funny because I've seen him a million times. And he never remembers who I am. It just like he, because he does the spiel to everyone, no matter who he can find. So wait, and so he, set, he set has the scene. Some, you're you're in line. I'm in line, and he comes up behind me, and I can feel him there, and like I'm breathing. I'm purposely looking forward to ignore him and he's you're says, looking forward to ignoring yes, him. I'm, look, no, I'm, I'm looking forward like it completely oh, okay, 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 behind okay, okay. me oh my face just would have been on engage engaging no engage. Yeah. Oh, because oh, i God. already have a million times this and it it's like uh trying to fight with a fundamental christian or something like that you're never gonna win you're never it, and there's no winning per se it's just that they're they're gonna feel how they're gonna feel you're gonna feel how you're gonna feel but never come out on top of one of those never, arguments yeah you're yeah. just gonna you're just gonna fight what if i drew diagrams no no it's never nothing nothing We'll convince him. No. So he says, um, were you alone? Do you, do you want to know a secret? Wait, were you alone? And I said, oh, I've heard all of the secrets that you have to tell. <laughs> and I don't want to hear your spiel again, <laughs> like a bad salesman at my door. Please fuck off. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And that was the end of that conversation. And then he, you know, stand there and mumbles to himself and, you know, he gets real pissy because, you know, Do you, you, you interrupted. That's well, what he said. Yeah. Well, he, he, and he does, he'll sit there in the, in the, the coffee shop and he will, uh, he'll say that to people randomly as they walk by. If you make eye contact with them, you're dead. That was very the police then? I think right. I need to go there. So, uh, but I actually have the, I have his packet that he brought to uh, the news organization that I was working for a number of years ago. So I'll bring that in for you guys and mm. you guys can, can look at some of the stuff. You should stuff post it does. online. I'd like to read that. Oh yeah. It, it sounds like it's some, his, some of his stuff is online. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it still is. It was at one point. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a he's a treasure character. trove of entertainment. So, in, in, in other words, what I was trying to say and not go off on a tangent. Sorry, man. Was uh, we get all kinds in the media. So this was actually kind of refreshing. Uh, John says, I think something good for this area would be an interactive science museum. Maybe your site could get this idea going. It could be used by all the schools and adults in the area with the space program moving forward. This type of museum could benefit school kids in the area. Now, good idea and and uh, not a bad suggestion, just not exactly sure what I can do about it, uh, which happens a lot where people think that you, if, if you're in media of any kind that you have some sort of amazing pull with people that I could just whisper in some politician's ear and then some grant just appears out of nowhere and we get a million dollars science museum in, in, the, in downtown. Now, I'm not insulting John and saying that that's what he thinks, but, you know, that seems to be the case with a lot of people where they think, you know, we can just change things. Uh, but I, I, I think it's a great idea. And considering we're, we're such a, a, a town with so many schools, we have, uh, you know, uh, so, so many great schools, high schools and colleges, uh, sp- specifically colleges that um, I would think that a, a science museum would, would go pretty far. But I find that most of the museums that we have um, have trouble getting funding as it is and have to constantly come up with, uh, like the Everhart, for example, has been, done a great job in the last couple of years of coming up with really creative ways to get people there. And you still have a really tough time of getting people to show up. So uh, asking people to build something else, whereas, you know, uh, just, my, you know, one guy's opinion, just, you know, not it's a pretty broad brush. He just paid like a science museum. Right. We exactly. need a planetarium. 
And yep. then we need the 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 hall of olfactory senses, and then we yep. need we need the hall of olfactory senses. Yeah, we need to know how a smell is Isn't received. Isn't that at Willy Wonka's place? Into mm-hmm. the nostrils, and then translated to the amygdala to translate into a a memory that is right, tied to an emotion. But we should walk through it like it's a hallway I and have touch the, perfect, the I bits. Have, Sign me up. I have the perfect answer for this. Do you know the Creation Museum? Yes. In Kentucky. Unfortunately, I'm aware of it. If we build one here, (laughs) but treat it like Disney World, I think people would have a damn good time. (laughs) Are you talking about a science museum? Mm, Pseudo-science. Anti-science. It's more entertainment than science. (laughs) You might be able to whip in a little message there, but... Right. There's I would I would totally go to that creation museum just to see Jesus ride a dinosaur. So <laughs> if we do something like like something so ridiculous. Right. That people would just have to go they to They have to go. Right. Nobody knows where the trolley museum is. But you, you know what you always have to top it. That's the thing. Is once the shtick is over, once you that initial run, you know everybody reports on it, everybody goes and well, whatever. What we do with the- You have to keep Topping yourself. Okay, well, now how do I top Jesus riding a dinosaur? I, I, do you know how? How? The elephant is the center of the universe museum. Oh, this, we'll this, get the this guy involved. Jimmy's the curator then. Jimmy, would <laughs> no, you... the guy who. No, Jimmy, you're the, the curator. curator. You're the curator. <laughs> you, so, Quit your job. So, like, let me ask you real quick. You would never have him on. And, and I don't, and, and, I, and I seriously, like, like I, I mean this sincerely. I would not have him on as, as mm-hmm. you know, to poke fun. I, I'd I'd be da- I'd be absolutely curious but about what he thinks. I would like to engage him in an in a in a conversation about universes. You 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 can actually there are videos online of him engaging with uh, skeptics, and it turns ugly very quickly. <sighs> like does not, like does he get like like loud and and like a, like? Well, let me put it to you this way: Would you like to have? someone who may or may not be mentally ill and then start an argument with them and then record it well it's like it's like it's like like trying to get an argument with a with a drunk like he yeah that's that's essentially what it is he's he after about 15 20 minutes of you trying to say well all right let me let me retort you with this but his reasoning is and him just yelling in his mind his reasoning is sound oh yeah yeah definitely really yeah wow okay yeah (laughs) <laughs> all right well so so uh so interactive science museum yay or nay everyone yay even if, if it, i can walk through uh, the 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 it's or the factories n- halls you enter through the nostril yeah is there going to be like a real nostril <laughs> you just walk through the nostril so I have to climb up the nostril. No, we'll do it sideways. Like, so like a like like a in, in the the like Nickelodeon game shows, you know, where you had to go. Like up you the can't do that on television, or, or oh no, double dare, double dare, double dare where you yeah. had to reach That's up it. and grab the flag and stuff. Do so I kind of like that? Do I get dirty? No. I yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, I'd be totally cool with that. Okay, we should set that up in the hallway and. Well, I mean, all we have to do is send Rich an email, and then it'll happen. Mm. Right. Right. So. <laughs> Let's get some plaster. Let's get some some plaster of Paris so, and some. Rich, you know what you should really do. You should really get me ten thousand dollars. <laughs> to, 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 to answer to answer John, uh, thank you for your suggestion. Respectfully, yes, respectfully, <laughs> honestly, uh, thank you for your suggestion. I'm not sure exactly how I how I would get that off the ground, other than just 
asking important people in the community, uh, you know, what they think of the idea and how to get that going. But I, I promise you, everyone is going to go. That's a great idea. How are you going to do it? That's essentially what it is. Yeah, it all falls back on you and finding funding, which is the, the, near the, impossible the, nowadays. Yeah, this town needs to worry first about other things than you know. Once we grow. Yeah. Once we become, you know, the way we were when the coal, well, I wouldn't say the coal barons, but, <laughs> you know, before, before half the community left, yeah, you know, which was 50, 60 years ago, when we get back to there, sure. I think then we can get an old factory museum. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that's safe. But if there's money in the budget, I'm sorry, man, I'm going to get that guy as elephant center of the universe museum. Fair enough. Okay. Th- all right. Mike. Resolved. Thank you so much for your time. Thank yes. you. It was a pleasure. You, you did not have to do this, but you did. I'm happy I did. Like, <laughs> I survived. It's like showing up to like that, 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 how old do you, do you have a daughter or another I have son? A daughter. You have a yeah. daughter. How old? Uh, 20 months. Have you, have you gone to any of those birthday parties yet? I have. Some of them are dreadful. They're okay. <laughs> I, sur- I survived them. Right. So you, yes. ow, was this, he was survived this, this. Was this better than a, child's birthday party they were <laughs> similar <laughs> on different levels yeah different levels that's that's fair that's a fair statement i i you 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 uh you're you're, you're middle of the road you're very fair to everybody i like that thanks rich i try <laughs> um all right well uh i was gonna say something and i totally i i just blank i just want to say thank you man you know you're, already you're bringing it yeah, i know yeah, i know but you're bringing like this perspective that a lot of people you know don't really get and i think it's important and and you know, I look forward to maybe around spring break time. There we go. When I get back, <laughs> when you get back from nice Nicaragua. So, uh, thank you, Mike Jenkins. His book is uh, police leaders in the new community, uh, problem solving era. And, uh, he has a new one coming out soon. So, uh, check out Amazon for, for those. And, uh, he is, uh, also at the uh, university of Scranton. So if you end up being a, a student there, uh, take one of his classes. I'm sure you'll, you'll appreciate it. What do you do? Criminal justice there? Criminal justice and policing. Cool. Yep. All right. Uh, so, uh, thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know, obviously we, we touched on some hot topics tonight. So whatever you think, uh, please let us know, uh, if you have any other ideas for museums in the area, please also let us know that. And uh, uh, thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Danke. Aaron, you want to say thank you? Danke. Jimmy? Thank you. Thank you.